Hi, welcome to the Cloud Migration Podcast from Capital Innovations. Find us at ppmexit.com. We let customers quickly identify cost savings by migrating workflow software to open source cloud-based alternatives. Head over to ppmexit.com, click on how much can I save, fill in a one-page form, and we'll get you an estimate on the spot. That's bpmexit.com. Well, Max, we're going to talk today about what our customers need to do once they've decided, or maybe we should even say made the big decision to migrate. And I think we've seen it done badly a lot and well a few times. So I think our hope today is together we can talk through how do they actually plan this? And it's not on the back of a napkin, right? I I think you have to have something a little bit more than that. (laughs) Absolutely, Dan. So, you know, I think there's some really critical questions that have to be asked and answered. First question is, what are you trying to achieve with the migration? And I mean this at a technical, detailed level. The second is, how do I rank what needs to be migrated? That means, how do you start and what order do you start with? And the third is, now that I've ranked it and translate that into testable criteria, what are some things I need to consider when testing? And finally, you've got to think about how you plan for integrations and you've got to consider new technologies for the back end that may not be available in the original. I think all of that is great, Max. And I think when you're starting, you begin with the end in mind, right? To use a very famous bald guy that's not you or me. Uh, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen Covey used to always talk about beginning with the end in mind. So why don't you talk a little bit about beginning with that end in mind and some things you need to think about? So first, you need to be clear about what you're trying to achieve. I recommend that you create a matrix with your three highest priorities and rank your options from there. For example, you might want to align with corporate objectives, or you might be concerned about cost or ease of adoption. You've got to know what you're measuring and what you're trying to get out of this whole thing. Right. And we see people that start with a really vague idea and they get vague results. Right. I mean, and I think it gets very frustrating both to them and honestly to us in trying to help them because we're not quite sure what target they're trying to hit. I mean, that's an absolute truism. If you start out with vague requirements, you will get vague results. Yeah. And I think not knowing where they're going also interprets into a lot of time and money that may or may not be well spent. We do find clients that are lucky sometimes, but that's the rare, rare exception. Quick reminder at bpmexit.com, you can automate your migration from IBM ODM, Pega, Appian, and other systems to Comunda, Flowable, AWS Step Functions, Google Workflow, and other systems. You can get details at bpmexit.com. So, Dan, what do you think are some key points when it comes to migrating? Well, I think getting buy-in from your key stakeholders is absolutely critical. And then it follows that you want to get alignment on that and the strategy you need to get buy-off from them, because obviously they're going to be the people that you are delivering this project for. Um, And we assume that our audience on this podcast is primarily technical in nature, but in business, certainly, you know, you want to have your business stakeholders, um, you know, engaged and talking through exactly what the alignment and strategy is. And then your target, you know, what are you trying to get to? I think we find Max in, in our various and sundry migrations that we've done is some some people are starting with the target and working backwards 
And I don't know that that's necessarily the best way to do it. I mean, would you agree with that? Absolutely right. I mean, I think the target is a byproduct of your success criteria, not the other way around. So that's one of the reasons that when CAP provides facilities for migrating code, we support multiple engines because one engine might be right for one customer and another for another, depending on the goals that they have. You need to know, you know where you're going and you're not going to know that beforehand. So I think that that goes into you know, the kind of things that you need. How would you translate that? I mean, from a tactical perspective, for someone who's listening to this, how do they take what we just talked about and turn it into a task that they can, they can execute? I definitely want to answer that question, Max, but I want to come back to the, the conversation about the target system or target engine and maybe suss out one more thing is because sometimes the answer is not one engine. It could be multiple engines. And we'll talk a little bit later about the concept of a proxy sitting between, you know, as an abstraction layer that sits in between, because what you're trying to do you may not find in just one type of an engine. So I did want to insert that. That's probably a whole podcast by itself. You're totally right, Dan. And that's actually a really valid point. Because a lot of times you have systems that sort of propose that they are the end-all, be-all solutions. So you have something like a Pega system or an Appian where they say, well, we do process and we do integration and we do UI and we do rules. And that sort of confines your thinking sometimes to think that, well, if I'm migrating, I've got to migrate to one system that does all of those things. When in reality, that's not the case. You may need to find a best of breed that does each of those things. And that's where a proxy becomes really helpful because you can have your workflow talk to a proxy and the proxy can abstract you away so you don't get vendor lock or even technology lock in the brave new world that you've migrated to. I'm thinking about our our clients and even prospective clients that we talked to. I don't know that I can think of anybody that we migrated that did go to just one technology. I mean, I think the, the obvious one is a UI is oftentimes abstracted away from workflow and, and integration. So yeah, I think that's an important thing for our, our, uh, our listeners to remember. Absolutely. You know, you'll have these sort of um, monolithic systems that will have an embedded UI and their own sort of language, which can act as a, a bottleneck to productivity because only three people in your organization really know how to use that. So a lot of times when we help people, you know, migrate to a new environment, we'll break those into clean separate pieces. We'll say, hey, your UI is going to be Angular or React or whatever it is that they want us to help them migrate to. And your workflow is going to be this. So your rules engine is going to be that. And, you know, for your integrations, we're going to actually use like an Apigee proxy or something. All of those things are important considerations. You have to know that the world that you're going to is not necessarily as limited as the world that you're coming from. And you should be prepared to take advantage of that. I'll apologize to our listeners because I got us on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's something that we really see a lot. And so focusing back on ranking what needs to be migrated, certainly we need to look at your stakeholders and get them to help you with that. And I think you had started down the path of, okay, now that we know what's important, what our values are, what the strategy is, now we need to translate that into empiricals, right? So testable criteria so that you can not only know what success is empirically, but also be able to test that and go, okay, yes, we achieved that. And, and this is how we tested and show that we'd achieved that. Anything you want to add to, to that? Uh, no, I think you're totally right. 
I will just say that I think accountability is the key to how you do a solution. So you've got to know that when you are translating from an old system, a legacy system to a new system, that these are the criteria, whether it's performance, speed, you know, turnaround time, cost, and you've got to be able to test that in the old system and the new system and prove that your migration actually achieved the goal that you had. And that's how you become accountable. Well, and I think it's that's a good segue probably into the next topic we would talk about is what do we need to consider when testing? And I, I think I would add at this point, we've seen a lot of folks that are taking on migration, but testing is an afterthought. Matter of fact, I can think of one in particular, and it's <laughs> taken them almost 10 times as long to test once it's migrated versus the migration time. So what are some things that our listeners need to consider when they're testing? So almost all non-trivial enterprise systems, whether they're using a formal BPM system or not, have things like events and timers and processes and rules and integration and security roles and a workflow that has to be executed based upon previous steps. So when you are decomposing your empirical testing criteria, you need to be thinking about all of those things because if you let just one link in the chain become weak, the entire process will fall down. You've got to know, for example, that, hey, I'm reusing this integration, but the UI is going to be a little bit different, but I can also test the state of the process by doing this or doing that other thing. And, you know, that, that opens up an entirely interesting direction of conversation for someone like me. Because, for example, when you talk about testing a process, how do you actually do that? Well, a lot of times you test the data that goes in versus the data that comes out. And when you talk about doing that, then you've got to talk about ways to generate that. And, you know, we have an AI guided system that generates mock data that's specific to domain, like HIPAA compliant test data and whatnot, so that we can execute actual tests that can also pass load and stress metrics. Yeah, and I think it's important because most of our listeners that are thinking about migrating are by nature going to be in a highly regulated industry. So using, quote, real data is problematic, right? Because they don't want to have, you know, their customer's data in a test environment where it's maybe not as protected, specifically when you're working with somebody from the outside like us. So that that mock data generation is is super critical. It's really important because, as you said, testing cannot be an afterthought. Testing has got to be at the beginning of what you're doing. You know, when, when we were all in school and we were all little engineers and we learned the scientific process, the first thing we learned was state your hypothesis. The same thing applies when you're talking about a migration. You've got to know what it actually means to succeed. So you've got to design your tests in such a way that the migration meaningfully passes it. And that has implications all the way through your entire exercise, including, for example, how the new system is going to integrate with your larger SDLC, because tests play a critical part in that. These things do not happen in a vacuum. Absolutely. And I think when we were talking about afterthoughts, we, I think we say the whole concept of migration sometimes is an afterthought, right? Because customers going, oh, I'm going to this new system. Oh, okay. How do we get there? Well, if that's an afterthought, I think the piece that's is probably the, the biggest afterthought as you're moving over is integrations. You know, what are we integrating with? 
not only in the old system, but even, you know, in the new system and, and where do we want to go with that? So maybe you can talk a little bit about planning for integrations. Oh, yeah, that's this is such a rich area. I mean, the first thing you've got to know is if you have an integration, that it's entirely reasonable that it's being reused by multiple systems. So you can't just go up and change the integration, re-implement it. So what that means is if you're going to be changing the integration anyway, you've got to match the payload that was the input and the output of that integration. You've got to match the signature so that any systems that are using that integration don't have to make significant changes to how they're working. And all of that has got to be wrapped around your idea of how are you going to do a proxy. Now, that can be an API proxy like Apigee or something like that, or it can be a more formal proxy that can abstract away a particular vendor-based solution for you know, your workflow. But either way, you've got to know that a proxy is a part of your solution. And, you know, Max, I was thinking about just some practical experience that you've had in working with our customers. Many times the integration piece can take a long time. Because somebody's having to either reconstruct that or they're wanting to add new integrations to the target system they're moving to. So talk a little bit about using a proxy as a placeholder in the, uh, in the new system until that new integration is built. Honestly, I, I'm going to talk about my experience as a child when, when this comes up. When I was a kid, my family owned restaurants. And what we found was we were originally, we just had like the chef and the customer. So the chef would form a relationship with the customer. And if the chef ever got mad at us, they would leave. It would break the relationship and the customer would leave. So what we started doing was we started hiring waitresses. And the waitresses and the waiters would act as an intermediary between the customer and the chef. And that way, if a chef left, it wasn't changing the customer's experience. That's really what a proxy does for you. It gives you the latitude to be able to change the relationship so that the back end can implement things in a different way or serve up a mock payload or what have you and still keep the fidelity of the relationship between the front end and the, the workflow itself. Yeah, and that's super important. I mean, as we as we we see, because a lot of times maybe that thought isn't even formed on how they want to do that. So, you know, using a proxy there can be very, very important and very, very critical to getting the job done quickly and maybe waiting on other dependencies that you can't necessarily control. We can cut your migration timelines in half or more. Our unique fixed outcome model invests in your successful exodus. Find out why the world's leading companies partner with us. Go over to bpmexit.com and get in contact with us. So, so as we're wrapping up and we've, we've kind of talked through several different areas that you need to plan a workflow migration, that is, what are you trying to achieve, your goal, how you rank, what needs to be migrated and when you migrate it, having the importance of testable criteria, which is things that you need to consider when you're testing and planning for integrations. We're going to add this in. It's not really an afterthought, but it's something that you definitely need to consider as you plan. And that is the potential, or I'm going to even say more specifically, new technologies or databases that you can use for the back end that you may not have had in your source system. Absolutely. If you're moving from the old country over to the new country, 
you've got to take into account that there are new opportunities here, that the soil might grow different kinds of crops, that there are other things that are available to you. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed seeing is when I see my customers move from like a legacy database to a distributed database that allows them to have instantaneous interaction with other systems or instantaneous reporting, or you get into some of the really interesting stuff that can happen with GraphQL so that integrations can become a little bit more fluid and the invocations can be a little bit more controlled by the calling system. There's an entire world of opportunity. And one of the things that we try to do at CAP is we try to educate our customers so that they are aware, hey, you're right here next to this really interesting thing. Why don't you consider it so that it can act as a, an advantage to your migration? So you're not doing the same thing in the new country that you did in the old country, because it might have made sense there. It may not necessarily make sense here. Yeah, absolutely, Max. And I think the one thing that we would probably try to encourage our listeners is don't try to do this by yourself. There are people that can help us, Capital Innovation being one of those that have been there and done that before and could provide a lot of value to you as you do that, a lot of speed and certainly a lot of return on your investment. Yeah, I see that a lot. A lot of our customers have very, very smart people, which I really enjoy. I love working with them. But when their mission is to get from point A to point B, we like to help them do that so they don't have to go out and invent a mechanism of transport before they ever get started because they have bigger and more important things to do. So regardless of whether it's us or whether it's you know someone else, I really can't say this strongly enough. It's really important to have a Sherpa to help guide you through the mountains. Well, Max, I don't think I can say it any better than that. So certainly let us be your Sherpa at Capital Innovations. We look forward to talking to you. Max, thanks for your time today. Look forward to talking again soon. Thank you, Dad. Take care.